0: The information contained in this podcast is general in nature and is not to be taken as financial or personal advice. It does not consider your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether this information is suitable for you and your personal circumstances before acting on it. Hi, and welcome to The Home Run, your guide to buying your first home in Australia. On this show, I'll walk you through the home buying process from every angle. We cover steps to take, the pitfalls to avoid, and the answers to all your questions you've been dying to ask. No matter what stage you're at, you'll learn everything you need to know about buying your first home. I'm your host, Michael Nassar, and I'm a mortgage broker at Street, and I really love helping people buy their first home. Phoebe Blamey is the director and founder of Clover Financial Solutions, a
1: mortgage brokerage based in Melbourne. She's also the author of The Happy Money Journey, a book about how to make good money decisions and live life on your terms. In this episode, Phoebe will break down everything you need to know to improve your chances of getting your mortgage application approved. She'll give you the inside word on what mortgage brokers are looking for in your application and some of the classic mistakes first home buyers make on their applications. Plus, Phoebe will share a few tips so you can maximize your chances for success. Let's jump in. Phoebe, welcome to the show
2: thank you so much for having me. I am actually so excited because I've been listening to your show for a while now. And I think I've recommended a couple of our clients hop onto it just because you've got some really good advice for first home buyers. And it's always great to listen to something that's pretty simple. I think the one that I've liked best, aside from the one we were talking about before with Frank Valentic, was the ones where you question and answer. I think they're really good. I think that's such a good idea. It's so helpful.
1: The mailbag episodes. Yeah.
2: The mailbag.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. The good old mailbag. So answering the questions that people ask. I think, you know, I enjoy doing those as well because obviously they're pretty relevant to what people's sort of concerns are at the moment. So Phoebe, for those that don't know, you're the director at Clover Financial Solutions. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do there?
2: Absolutely. So I used to be a regional manager at Aussie Home Loans years and years and years ago, 2003. And I went from there to starting my own broking business with a business partner. That unfortunately didn't work out very well. But then I started my own broking business, just me, and absolutely loved it. Helping people into their homes, their first home, their next home, building relationships with clients and all that sort of stuff. I absolutely love doing and really was very passionate about all the things to go with that. And then within that, I started seeing a need for people to get a little bit more financial education. I wrote a book the, about, oh, it was the beginning of 2020 called The Happy Money Journey. And it's all about how people get their life together financially, no matter what age, no matter what life stage, just a little journey of going from broke, which I was, to getting all the way through to having money and feeling financially comfortable.
1: So Clover Financial Solutions, I guess, then was primarily a mortgage-broking business. And what led you to mortgages? Like, how did you end up, and you mentioned Aussie Home Loans, was it something that you always aspired to be when you were younger? Or how did you fall into being a mortgage broker? And then I want to talk about how you got into more the educational stuff, which you're also pioneering at the moment.
2: Okay. So to get into mortgages, I came back from living overseas and I had a two-year-old child and I was a single parent. And down the road from me, Bank of Melbourne, down the road from my dad's place, because I moved back in with my dad, I was 27, and moved back in with my dad. And down the road from his place was a Bank of Melbourne childcare centre. And dad said to me, you should go and work in banking because they provide childcare.
1: Smart move.
2: So, I went for a job (laughs) at Westpac in the financial planning area. Westpac and Bank of Melbourne, I think, were in the throes of a merger back then, and went for a job at Westpac and didn't get it. But I did get a job at NAB, being an on the phone loan writer. And because I was studying at the same time, NAB put me on their fast career track, high performance leadership program. And within that, you got a mentor, and my mentor was from the Bank of Michigan. And she was telling me all about mortgage broking because NAB, back in those days, owned Bank of Michigan. This is a long, long time ago.
1: Bank of Michigan being an American bank?
2: Yeah, they owned two banks and Homesite. It's a long and detailed story. But during her mentorship, she was in Australia and they sold Bank of Michigan. So she had to go back. But she told me all about mortgage broking. So from NAB, and I was doing really well like career-wise at NAB. But from there, I went to work for Wizard as a sales coach. So going out to all the satellite offices and teaching them how to put loans together and all this sort of stuff. And it was a hell of a learning curve for me. And I was really lucky because I'd, I made friends with a few of the BDMs and started to understand things like doc lending, which you didn't have at NAB, construction loans. i would never touched a construction loan in my life. And because these are all like out of suburban offices, I'm doing all this construction and LODOC and self-employed and stuff I'd just never come across. So I was sort of learning on the job a lot. And I went from there to being the first female regional manager at Aussie Home Loans. But I worked there for three years and really enjoyed it, learned heaps. It's a really interesting business model. And you'd know a lot of brokers, including yourself, that have come from Aussie. And Aussie's got a really good way of teaching people to be brokers. So I went from there to starting my own business. I had about 10 brokers working with me and was in a business partnership. That all went south. And I'd seen myself as being a leader and a businesswoman. But what I really loved was being a mortgage broker and and just helping individuals get into their houses. And because I had all these friends who were BDMs and ex-loan writers and stuff like that, I was getting lots of business. So I just started up on my own. I named my business Clover after the dog. I was looking at all the, you know, pinnacle and the loan home and all this and just nothing. Everything was taken. So I named it after the dog. And yeah, started off and then I've had this business for 14 years. My daughter's just left to go to a full-time position at Loan Market and here I am.
1: And we'll obviously be leveraging that in, that knowledge you have as, as a mortgage broker when we talk about some of the concepts that we'll discuss later. But you did mention that you're also guiding or teaching people about financial wellness and well-being. Can you spend a bit of time letting us know about what that looks like and what led you to that point?
2: So a couple of things led me to that point. One of them was in 2009, I'd just broken up with my boyfriend and my business was going under as well. Like that business partnership was just shattered. It was it was really bad and it was quite litigious. And I was spending a lot of time with lawyers and trying to get myself out of it. And I felt like I'd let a whole lot of people down and stuff like that by leaving. But I just, it just wasn't working anymore. At the same time, my boyfriend skedaddled and he'd been around for a while. So we had like joint things and stuff. And I realized that I had been paying off his car loan and I didn't have a car and we were renting and I was paying a lot in rent because obviously we'd had two incomes and now I just had one. And because I was in the middle of this legal battle, I had no money and it was really scary. Like I was really broke and I had a young child and she was at private school and So I had to, you know, go in and make financial arrangements with everyone and try and get myself back on my feet as quickly as possible. And, you know, you're in direct sales, so you've got to be really positive all the time. And it really took me, I think, about five or six years to rebuild and get up to being normal again and being able to take holidays and just living a normal life because you get really scared as well. And so much of being broke and so much of being under financial strain is emotional and not actual. So I was making okay money, but I was too scared to spend it, I was too scared to invest it. I didn't want to make any big moves like buy another house or something because I just I needed to stay within my comfort zone. And I realized that that whole mindset was really holding me back. So I started to put myself on a little bit of a journey and I was watching what my clients, my particularly my wealthy clients, and watching more their attitude to money and their attitude toward risk and and their attitude towards abundance. And then from there, working what they actually do with their money, so how they spend it, what they spend it on, because I can tell you now, you look at a very wealthy person and you don't see multiple Uber Eats and you don't see multiple drive throughs of McDonald's. You do see a gym membership and you see like stuff like that and you see a few holidays, but you don't see them living and just throwing away all their money. They're careful they don't stop living the life that they want to live because they you know go on holidays and live in nice houses and drive nice cars and Teslas and the whole situation so i wanted to be like that so i worked out what some of the things that they were doing financially how they looked after their money they don't have budgets but they do know where their money goes and they automate a lot and everything's fairly simple and they keep their finances fairly simple they might have complex business structures but the way that they run their day-to-day, they're running out of two, maybe three accounts. They don't have multiple accounts. They don't have multiple savings. They've got investments and everything's just really simple. And so I I find it down and kept it simple and then wrote a book about it so that other people could learn the things that had taken me years to learn. They could just condense it into a really short time and pick it up. And now I'm starting to do some courses and stuff. So if you know anyone that needs help with just their basic financials and just getting their stuff together. And I know that's what we're going to talk about today as far as going with the loan applications, but that's what that business is all about.
1: It stemmed from experience. It was an experience that obviously caused some fear from within yourself and you want to mitigate that fear that you had so you could live a little and you were lucky enough to be a broker. And so you could see and have clients who were wealthy and sort of study how they lived and operated and how they were successful. And I guess, you know, you can replicate that um, in that particular way. And success is a formula and you've seen it. And now you're, I guess, wanting to inspire people and teach people the stuff that you've learned. Yeah. They're not in that situation again. Cool. Yeah, no, no. I, I think that sounds like, awesome. what's the name of the book?
2: The Happy Money Journey.
1: Cool. And we'll provide links to that in the show notes as well. All right. So the topic that we're going to be exploring today is back on your mortgage broking skill set and the things that you've learned over the course of your years as a mortgage broker. It's how to improve your chances of being approved for a mortgage. So I guess we're really bringing it back down here to a basic level for our first home buyers that are listening and on that journey to get the home loan. And there are some things that can be done, obviously, with some smart management and being organized that will enable you to be better off being approved for a loan. So let's start off with the basics. What do mortgage brokers consider or look for when you're applying for a mortgage? And I guess more broadly, what are lenders looking for specifically as a general yeah. rule?
2: So the first question I always ask is, what do you want to do? And then the second question I ask is, how much money have you got to put toward that and how much are you earning? People would say, I've got quite a lot of savings, I've got $5,000. And other people will say, I've got quite a lot of savings, I've got $105,000. You don't necessarily need the hundred and five to be able to buy a house, but the more you've got, the easier it is for us to find you a loan. What are you earning? Because the bank's going to look for your ability to pay the loan back for a start. So if I'm speaking to someone that's newly self-employed or if I'm speaking to someone that is on various pensions or government assistance and stuff like that, then it's a reasonably short conversation because we've got to get those people into a position where they can buy before we can start looking at lending for them. So you need to earn more, you need to get a different job, you need to be self-employed for mainly two years with most lenders, but there are exceptions to that. So then it becomes about asking questions. If they've gone from being PAYG to contractor, they might still be able to be considered as the PAYG role because they're doing exactly the same thing for exactly the same person. But And different lenders look at things in different ways, but they're the top two. How much money have you got and how much money do you earn
1: and the good thing I think I like about the how much money have you got, it also will speak to their savings or their ability to have been able to save. So if they've got a, a larger saving deposit or they've got more to contribute, it would indicate perhaps some, as a generalisation, a, a better ethic towards money and you know, the ability to save is, is quite a, I want to say advanced skill set, but it's quite a, it's a hard thing to do, that savings.
2: I think it's an advanced skill set. It's easier to pay back a debt than it is to save money
1: that would make sense. So yeah, so then it's an advanced skill set that not a lot of people have the time to do or the patience to do or the knowledge to do. I'm not I'm not too sure. But okay, so along with that, what would be some of the biggest mistakes you see people make when they're coming to you to apply for a mortgage for the first time or at any time?
2: They've just taken out a car loan that is in my top 3. Lots and lots of afterpay, so seven or eight afterpays going out every week. They only eat Uber Eats because we're looking in their bank statements, so we can see everything about them. So we're seeing people that are being quite wasteful with the way that they approach their money doesn't speak well to the third thing that lenders look for, which is their character. And their character can also be how long they've been in a job for or how long they've stayed in jobs for. It can be how they do their savings, which we were just talking about, but it's also how they spend the money that they've got day to day. And lenders are more and more concerned with how you're spending the money that you've got day to day. If you're living at home with your parents, they're going to be asking why you don't have any savings at all. Where's your money? Like what's happened? If you're going out and getting all sorts of credit just before you're about to apply for a home loan, it can show a lack of management in that sort of stuff. So what we're looking for is really positive things like extra money's going on to debts. Hex is being paid off early if we possibly can, because everyone knows once we hit $100,000 in income, Hex is taking 7% out. It's a huge bite of your gross income.
1: And that's something that 1st home buyers definitely get affected with when they don't realize, because Hex is probably one of the biggest limiting factors along you know that can play a part in your borrowing capacity
2: absolutely having unnecessary debt is big but having hex debt you sort of you don't think about it because it comes out of your tax returns and quite often i have conversations with people that don't even mention when we're talking about what do you owe they don't even mention hex cuz they don't even think of it as something that they owe but yeah hit that 100 120,000 and that's what i think most first home buyers tend to earn a lot of money. I mean, you're in Sydney, they probably
1: earn more, but... <laughs> it depends. But yeah, no. Gen- generally young professionals, are, it's not uncommon to be saying the incomes at 100, 120. And and especially then if there's two parties to the loan and they're both on 80 grand each, so that also can play a part as well. Let's look at improving some of the, the chances here of these basic concepts or these categories that we've mentioned. We've mentioned the ability to get a loan, obviously in the savings or how much money you have. If we start with the first one, the capacity to pay back a mortgage, what can first home buyers do to improve their capacity to pay back a mortgage? And I guess we're sort of touching on that already and it's probably more geared towards what can we do to ensure that we are maximising the borrowing capacity? Is it just about reducing debt? Is there anything else that can be done in that regard?
2: Look, I think it's mainly about reducing debt, making sure that you're in the best possible situation, minimising debts, lowering credit card limits, paying off HEX and not taking out extra loans. I think there's a common misconception, because it's actually true in America, but it's not true here, is that you have to get credit to be able to get more credit. But you don't have to do that here. You can get your credit score can come from your telephone bills and your electricity bills and just paying things on time.
1: Can you explain that concept a little bit further? So what does that actually mean?
2: So a lot of people that I come across think that they need to have some sort of credit. They need to have a loan or a car loan and have proven that they can pay that loan back in order to then get a larger loan, like a home loan. So people will take on a credit card to give themselves a better credit score. And that's true in America. You get a better credit score from, that's how you get your credit score is by applying for credit. But in Australia, you're applying for credit when you get an electricity account and you're also applying for credit when you get a telephone account. So keeping those in good standing is really helpful for your home loan. You don't have to have organized yourself a credit card or something like that. If you're getting overtime and Allowances and all that sort of stuff, just make sure that you've got overtime in recent pay slips.
1: But that speaks to the income. So try and maximize your income as much as possible, I'd imagine, there and, and have that recorded.
2: Bonuses and stuff like that can normally be used if they show on the pay slip. If something hasn't happened yet, we often, even though it's been coming to you every year. We can't show it, particularly actually with the use of overtime. I'm seeing this more and more from lenders is that if the overtime's not on the pay slip that we're presenting or on one of the pay slips that we're presenting, they sometimes won't use it at all. Whereas you've been getting it, make sure you get it in in the pay cycle that we're throwing
1: the loan in for. Let's jump to the second point, which is the deposit. And and, and again, this probably speaks more to that skill set we were, we were discussing earlier and more to your probably where a lot of your educational stuff is now coming across because it's all about how you're spending your money and how to be financially savvy. How can 1st home buyers increase their deposit or their savings to help with their mortgage application? What are the main tips that you see there?
2: So one of the main tips is pay your rent on time. Rent can be counted as genuine savings for something like the first-time lender's deposit scheme. But a lot of lenders, if you're getting a gift, but you're, it's not quite enough that you don't need mortgage insurance, you need to have genuine savings.
1: And can you explain what genuine savings is?
2: Yep. Genuine savings is either your ability to pay extra on a debt. So not just pay a debt back, but pay extra and pay it off. It's your tax return money. It's your rent. And this varies between lender to lender, but it's making sure that you're doing these things on time and as you should rather than You know, if you miss rental payments, or if you don't pay extra on loans, or if you don't get a tax return, it's hard to prove genuine savings. Particularly important with all the schemes, but also speaks to your character. It also says, you know, this person's able to honor a commitment. So you could be getting a fifty thousand dollars gift from your parents. That's enough to buy your five hundred thousand dollars house, but you're still going to need mortgage insurance on it for whatever reason that you don't qualify for the one of the many government schemes that are around at the moment but assume that you need mortgage insurance, you need to have genuine savings. So that's what we're looking for. That's collateral. And then it's also the type of house you're buying. So if you're buying something that's company title, if you're buying something that's service department, stuff like that, they're not so acceptable to lenders. They won't lend high levels on that.
1: And so I guess some more tips there for the deposit. Like are there any other main tips that you see how a first time buyer can accelerate their savings or I know we mentioned no Uber Eats, so let's scrap Uber Eats. That's going to help us save. Are there any sort of other main points or tips that you know, you'd know you have for first-time buyers as to how you can accelerate that deposit?
2: I personally like high-interest savings accounts and micro-investments. High-interest savings accounts, you've really got to look for. So things like ING will have a special on for three months and then St. George will have the same special. And so you flip between different savings accounts, keep a record of everything. So you flip as and make as much money as you can because you're getting bonus interest and stuff like that, it's really going to help you save. But in order to prove it to the lender, we need six months or three months worth of savings statements in a row. So make sure you keep your savings. We're finding with, I think it's UBank, one of them has a, you might know this better than me, has a, a savings account for first home buyers and it's a really high interest rate, but they don't give statements.
1: Okay. Well, that's not effective. And I'm not aware of that one. No, but even if it's there and you can't get the statements, then how do you prove it?
2: Yeah. How do you prove it? So we need to prove the genuine savings. We need to show them that you're, you're putting a regular amount in or you're getting a, a lump sum, but you're leaving it there for three months. You can't get a lump sum on Saturday and then call me on Monday and say, I've got 50,000 in genuine savings. It doesn't work that way. It has to be there for a period of time or we find it another way.
1: Any other tips there for accelerating the deposit? I think I like that idea of the high interest rate savings accounts and you've got to be diligent, definitely. And I think if people want to know more about that, obviously they can reach out to you and find out more about your tips and, and what specifics you might have for them. The third thing that we speak about quite often, so we've obviously got our borrowing capacity and we've got our savings that we've got to be on top of. It's about consistency in lifestyle. That's something that I've heard you mention quite a few times. How can first home buyers increase their consistency on paper to better their chances of being approved for a loan to develop that consistency?
2: stay at the same job, don't move house often and stay at the same job. Or at least if you're changing jobs, do the same thing when you change jobs. So don't move from being a lawyer to being a chef. It's not consistent and the lender needs to have faith that you're going to be able to maintain that role. And how they determine that is they look back at your old role. If you wanted to employ someone, you don't want to employ someone that's had eight different jobs in four years. You want to employ the person that's had one job, shown that they can stick to it and then comes to your job.
1: Yeah, makes sense. And I think consistency there in work and definitely helps, especially for the purposes of an application we're talking about. Like obviously once the loan's approved and you've settled and you're in the house, then free to do what you want. But this is specific to what we can do to better improve our chances of a successful homeland application. And, and I think, yeah, that job consistency is critical. And then consistency in, in all the other facets, savings and and everything I think is definitely a good tip there.
2: They're looking for you to be a high character person. So, you know, there are some jobs that it's hard to be consistent in. It's hard to be consistent in particularly hospitality jobs. And lenders are more reluctant to lend to people that are in casual hospitality jobs than they are to people that are doctors that are permanently employed at a hospital. So when you're considering buying a home, also within that, consider your career, but consider why they want that. Because the reason they want that is because they can see better than we can because they've got all the research. How likely you are to stay in that role for a specific period of time to be able to service that debt.
1: Yeah. I think for me, all of this speaks to the fact that you need to be organized when you go to make an application. And I don't think very rarely are you going to approach a broker and get your loan approved. After your first meeting, it would be more like you'd meet with a broker and then these things would be discussed and they'd be mapped out and strategized. And it might not be, and something I see quite often is when I first start speaking to a first home buyer, it's not going to be in that first week that we're doing a loan. It's probably going to be a three, four, six months, sometimes 12 months time frame where we're working on a strategy to get us ready for the application too. So and that's quite common. I'm sure you see the same thing when you're dealing with first-home buyers. And I get this this episode is more about. How can someone listen to it and accelerate that process? So when they get to a broker, they're already doing these things. They've already had the savings in, in the right account for the three months. They've eliminated Uber Eats. They've stayed in the same job. I mean, there's some of the, you know, the golden nuggets that you provided, you know, like, and if you're doing that, when you go to see the broker, well, you're going to be in a better position to get your loan approved, which is in essence, everything that we're talking about today.
2: And that's what we want. We want people to own their own house because owning your own house it's amazing it, it makes you feel safe you've got something that's yours you've got something that is a really huge future investment particularly if you're buying in sydney because it's so expensive yeah. but um <laughs> you're really investing in yourself when you buy a house and in order to invest in yourself you really need to be solid and consistent and and show that you've got the not just the capacity to pay it back but you've got the character that's going to pay it back as well speaking of also paying your bills on time making sure that your account doesn't go overdrawn small things like that can make a real difference in particularly getting your home loan approved at high loan to value ratios and i know that your listeners probably know what i mean by that but that's the loan amount compared to the house value so the the more you borrow the greater percentage of the house value you borrow the greater the risk the bank feels that they have and therefore would like to see that you you're not missing payments and you're not sitting there with an unpaid telephone bill or something like that. But those things are also really easy to clean up. Some of those things happen in error because you've moved house or something like that. Clean those things up. We can help you as mortgage brokers. We come across this all the time. Nothing to be embarrassed about and will not stop you getting a house.
1: Yeah. The point is you're being proactive about it. If you identify that there is an issue, sort it out as quickly as you can because it's going to hinder the application at some point. So you're better off getting on top of it, not to be worried about it or ashamed of it or concerned about what other people may think. It's about sort of throw that out the window. Let's just sort it out and and focus on what we need to do to get sort of get this loan over the line. So that's a great point. We always close out our interviews with two questions and then I guess we try to keep them consistent so we can compare answers. The first one is, what would your number one tip for a first home buyer be that's trying to get into the market today?
2: Lower your expectations. I'm in Melbourne. I've got some beautiful first home buyers that I'm dealing with at the moment that six months ago could buy for about eight, nine hundred thousand that now can buy for about six hundred, seven hundred thousand. Like it's really dropped because of the increase in interest rates. But don't let that stop you buying. Buy because that property can be your future. It can be your first apartment that becomes part of a big property investment portfolio. Buy it.
1: So I guess expectation management there and what you think and what you end up in may, may not be the same thing. or may not be perfect, but just get your foot in the door basically. Second one is, and we can keep this relative to Melbourne and the areas that you know, if you were a first home buyer and we you know magically gave you a million dollars, so you didn't have to worry about a loan or anything like that. You've got the million dollars and you're able to buy. Where would you buy and why?
2: Okay, in Melbourne, I'd actually buy in Fairfield because... All the surrounding suburbs are Kew and suburbs that have really grown in value, but Fairfield hasn't really been hit by that. Elphington, which is also on the other side. So there's a part of northeast Melbourne where there used to be a really small bridge to get across from east to north. And that bridge, that road's been really widened and there's a whole lot of flats that have gone up there and stuff like that. And it's just opened up the connection between east and north. So, Alvington, which is directly on the other side of where this road was, has just gone gangbusters. It's it's basically doubled in value in the last couple of years. And Fairfield's right next door. That's where I would buy.
1: <laughs> That's an awesome nugget. So if people in Melbourne yeah. are listening. <laughs> like I'd be, you know, getting up real estate and, and domain and, and typing in Fairfield and seeing what we can pick up if that's something that, because again, and what you're speaking to there is capital growth, I guess, which is, you know, uh, something you've identified, obviously, when we are buying property, we want to get that increase in capital growth. And there's a lot to unpack in what you've said there. But I guess the summary is you're looking at suburbs that have some potential value. And in this instance, because of the widening of the road, it's obviously shot off into one suburb. And now it's going to affect the surrounding suburbs eventually. So that's quite a bit of insight there. Um, So yeah, no, no, I I love that one. That's a great example. Well, thank you for joining us today on the show, Phoebe. I really appreciate your time. We've mentioned you've got a book, but where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more about what you have to offer?
2: They can find me at phoebeblamey.com.au. We've also got a Clover Financial Solutions website, but phoebeblamey.com.au for all the courses and books and all that sort of stuff. And on Instagram and Facebook is The Happy Money Journey.
1: Wonderful. I love it. Well, those uh, links will be in the show notes. So if anyone wants to check them out, feel free to check out Phoebe on those particular links. But thank you so much again for your time today and joining me on the show. Really appreciate your time, Phoebe.
2: Absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to The Home Run, your guide for buying your first home in Australia. This podcast was produced by Lendstreet. Lendstreet is a mortgage broker and home loan specialist that helps first home buyers find the right loan to meet their needs. We know applying for a loan can be overwhelming and complex, so we help guide and support first home buyers through the process from start to finish. To find out more, head to our website, lenstreet.com.au. We've also put a link in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Home Run, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Michael Nasser and we'll be back next episode covering another step on the journey to owning your first home.